You're listening to Capsule 98, the podcast where I interview a slew of iconic guests and we obsess way too much about life in the 90s. Welcome back to season two of Capsule 98, the podcast that goes inside my brain when I was 13. And uh, today we are joined by two illustrious guests. I have to find a new way to say that because every guest, I'm like, they're illustrious as fuck. <laughs> uh, but th- it's very true today. We are joined by Josie and Vanessa Kraft. They are two of the hosts of the brand new show, Stitched. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thanks for driving up to wherever we are right now. And we got lost, and we have sent our driver out to go get Jamaican patties. That is our life. We can That's our life in a capsule. <laughs> in a capsule. It's perfect, because this is about a capsule. Yay! <laughs> so for those of you guys who are not familiar, um, I'll just do a quick reminder. This podcast is basically an offshoot of my Instagram that I started, which, uh, which basically started out of me finding my time capsule from 1998 when I was 13, and I opened up the, concept, opened up the contents of the boxes, and it was all just like a 90s extravaganza. So I love talking about about that time period. I know you guys are fond of it as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, first of all, let's talk about Stitched. Tell me everything. Okay, well, Stitch is a reality television program based around fashion design. Fashion. Fashion, with a U-N, not an I-O-N. And it's every episode, there are th- there's four designers who get narrowed down to one designer doing a series of challenges. Some are, well, they're all difficult. They're under time pressure and it's stressful. And the winner, every episode takes home $10,000. So that happens all 12 episodes. Tongue pop. Yeah, kind of right. No, but it's an awesome fashion design series. So if you like fashion, you like seeing creativity come to life, and you want to like judge along with us, this is the perfect show. Yeah, because Joe and I, our roles are residence judges. So we literally just live there to judge, and judge we do. Are you judgy? Well, like, Vanessa are you super judgy? Yes. Vanessa, yes. Uh, both of us are judgy in our own special ways. We work in fashion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they can see some side eyes from Vanessa for sure. Well, well Vanessa, definitely. I'm by far the nicer one. Uh, let's let the audience decide. Look, we're seeing fashion. When, when Joe and I see the clothing that these poor designers, the pressure they're put under, they get they get 30 seconds to grab stuff to to design with and then they have to make something in like four hours and then when joe and i see it's the first time we haven't seen them in their creative process we don't know what it was supposed to look like the model comes out and we judge from there and you can't tell me josie that you aren't crying or being happy internally when you see some of those things come out it just might show a bit more in my face that's all oh yeah yeah, yeah. i'm a better poker face i definitely <laughs> win in vegas <laughs> no i this is so fun like listen you guys have to just watch a show um, it's on Slice. It's so amazing because the level of creativity and the things that they design, what they have to do because there's certain restrictions that's put on them, is kind of mind-blowing. And some of it is terrible and some of it is so great. And I think that's what makes it really interesting because you really don't know what to s- expect every single time. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, I, I guess, like, you know, bringing back to the to the theme of my show, which is nostalgia and sort of that, yeah. those those original feelings that you had about fashion or yeah. original feelings that you had about any whatever you're passionate about. Um, I, I guess it's sort of, I mean, in a way, it's sort of like this purity of like just trying something, being obsessed with something and just trying it for the first time and whether or not it is terrible, it 
just, I mean, it's you still were super passionate about it when you were doing it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And seeing the passion with all of them and sharing it with them is, is kind of great. And then we get to shoot it down. <laughs> <laughs> it's and ra- then build it back up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a range of also ages. It's like 19. Speaking of young and ideas from like the contestants are from 19 up to 61 oh, wow. years old. So it's a real. So there are some people who have been watching YouTube videos and that's how they learn to sew. And then there's others who have been formally trained in, in a fashion college. So uh, it is a real range of designers. They can all sew, of course. It's mm-hmm. not, it's just a matter of can you sew with the materials you have in the under the time pressure you have with the specific challenge of what we're asking you to create in that time. Nice. Easy peasy. Yeah. So... Josie, you yes. have, I have a bone to pick with you because you Uh-oh. have, you have sort of one of those fashion careers that's like a Toronto urban legend, what do you which mean? is basically like, go to New York, pick up your bags <laughs> and it'll just like all work out and like visas will totally be okay. And it's just like, you just love fashion and you just like go and then, you know, it just works and out. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about how that happened and how you how you just managed this amazing career from Toronto. Okay, the other day somebody asked me, <laughs> asked, asked me on an interview, they're like, oh, did you feel like you had to leave Toronto to make it? And I was like, no, it wasn't like the city was on fire and I had to flee. <laughs> it was just the fact that I was here and I was like, I want to work in magazines more than anything. Mm-hmm. And at that time, magazines really were the holy grail and magazines existed in New York City. It wasn't, you know, and I'd been to New York City and I love New York City and of course the energy with New York City, but that's also where magazines and publishing really were. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had to go there if I really wanted to do that. And it wasn't feeling like, oh, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to like die and suffocate. Right. But it was just really great. And I got down there and it wasn't easy. It was a really hard hustle. And there were moments, like I gave a commencement speech at FIT. I went there when I first got to New York because I had to go to a school and get some sort of a degree in order to get a visa to work for one year. And I was like, okay, so I'm just going to get the quickest degree I could get, which was two years, so that I could apply for the training visa and then use that one year to really impress someone so I can get another visa and stay. And all of that was really difficult. And the fact is like sometimes coming from a third world country, was easier to get a visa in the States than it was coming from Canada. Because mm-hmm. they're like, what are you doing here? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because I have to be here. But, um, but you know, but it was really great. And, like, I really hustled and I really did things. And I gave a commencement speech about two years ago at FIT, which I will just plug right now and say that the Washington Post called it one of the top eight inspiring commencement speeches Whoa. of the year. Hi. Washington Post, yes, along with Barack Obama and Excuse Steven Spielberg me. and Lin-Manuel Miranda, just saying. Um Google it. But, I, but, but you know, but I was saying that because in my entire speech, like everybody goes up to commencement speeches and they say all these things about like, this is the beginning, not the end and all this stuff. And I'm like, I'm not sitting up here and giving you some soul cycle mantra or some greeting card salutation. I'm going to sit here and tell you it is damn hard. And I'll tell you that the, the hardest times were the best times. Those are the times I laid on the floor in fetal position having ugly cries because I thought I'm just not going to make it. This is way too hard. And to survive in New York City when it's a little bit hard is 10 times harder. Mm-hmm. And you push yourself through that and you get up the next morning and you're like, I'm going to fucking do this. I'm going to really prove to myself that I can fucking do this. And that's what it was all about. Mm-hmm. How did you first get into fashion? Oh, it was here in Toronto. Um, I met a friend here who was a friend of a friend who was a hairstylist. And I remember and I remember this very vividly. And he was like, I was telling him how much I love fashion. I think I was uh, in university at U of T. And he said, oh, we should be a stylist. I was like, oh, no, thanks. I don't really want to do hair. (laughs) And he was like, no, a 
a fashion stylist. I'm like, well, what's that? And he's like, you know, where you can get clothes, you go get clothes for photo shoots and you can dress them. I'm like, I'm sorry, wait, what? I can go shopping for clothes and then dress somebody, but someone's going to pay me to do that? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, sign me up. And that's really where it started because, you know, I never – I, there was no like Rachel Zoe project. There was nothing on television. There was yeah. no sense of understanding what a stylist was. So of course the first thing I thought was like, oh, I had to do hair. I was like, oh, no, I don't think so. But then I did it, and he had a photo shoot coming up, and he was like saying, oh, why don't you be a stylist for this? I went to the Eaton Center, bought a bunch of clothes on my mother's credit card, <laughs> and went to this and like styled. And I was like, this is really fun. Until I tried to return something that was dirty and I got in trouble. And I was like, this is not fun. But like, it was a good learning experience. And I realized that I was like, I can't believe this is a career. And that's sort of what really started the fire in me. Mm-hmm. But even even before that, sort of what are your I'm, – I'm curious about what, what both of your formative fashion experiences were. Sort of like, you know, was it when you were a kid? Was it when you were a preteen? What was your sort of first like moment where you discovered that you love fashion? Oh, I think right from the very beginning. I remember being six years old. I was at home. I, I think I dragged a, a little desk out into the living room. And I remember, like, if my brother or sister walked by or somebody walked by, I'd be like, oh, I'll give you some style advice if you give me a dime. Oh, that's amazing. And I was, like, giving them – I was like, oh, don't wear those socks. And then give me the money. <laughs> and I would, like, wait for the handout. But I have to say, for a while there, I really was a good Asian son. And I was like, I think I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to be a lawyer. But then I was in high school thinking like the whole time I was going to be a lawyer or a doctor, but really at the same time curating the high school fashion show. Mm-hmm. And then only it was only years later I was like, mm, I guess I never really wanted to do it. I was like doing a fashion show on the side for the entire school when they didn't even think they needed one. So I don't know. I think it was always in me. Yeah, me too. I mean, there's obviously the cliche of of being a teenager and buying the Vogue magazines where you don't understand who half the people are and half of the references are. But for me, um, you know, fa- I talk about this a lot. The fashion has always been a bit of a reinvention thing for me is my teenage years. I was a late bloomer and I never really felt like I fit in for the longest time. And fashion to me represented a way of becoming part of a, a club or becoming a aspirational, like the person that I wanted to be. So, you know, I would I would do some sketches. They were very, very Mugler-esque uh, <laughs> shoulder pads pointing up and like celestial stuff around. I don't know what that meant. The hair was always very big. Um, But then when I was in high school, I made this jacket. Like I would also make a lot of stuff. Was not great, but I made this jacket uh, that I distressed the the, the denim. I poured bleach on it. And then I had, you know, fabric glue, you know, that glue Mm. that's puffy paint. Yeah. So I took the puffy paint and I wrote across, this is so awkwardly embarrassing, but I wrote across the back of it, um, funky do prep crew. Funky do prep crew does not and did not ever exist. It was a party of one. I was the crew, but I wore that shit to school. And guess what? People are like, "Who's the crew? What's up with the crew? Who's who's in the crew?" And I'll be like, "You don't know them." And that was a thing for me. And I still I don't have the jacket. I I wish I still had the jacket. But so so for me, fashion has always been tied with that amazing ability that it has to make you dream. 
and to speak for you and your identity and all that. So yes, there was always a connection for me there. I think there has to be, right? Oh yeah, and I think Vanessa hit it. I mean, you want nostalgia. I mean, wallpapering your room (laughs) from corner to corner with pages of a magazine. Hello. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my my childhood bedroom still has, the doors are still covered. Oh Oh, yeah, and like nobody today would even understand what that even means because nobody would rip out a page. They wouldn't print out something from the internet and wallpaper their room, but that is what we did as a teenager. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah, there's a lot more tactile, um, tactile creativity back then. Oh yeah, it's not like oh, I'm gonna wallpaper my room with screen grabs of YouTube. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, which is yeah, I mean, collaging shit. That was one of my favorite mm-hmm. activities ever. Yes. The, the uh, I, I used to collage my my bedroom doors, and there were sort of various iterations of them depending on like what period of time it was. You know, in, in circa '98, it was very teeny, teeny boppery. Um, and then I redid my I redid the main door, which is still like there to this day, and it's a very time capsule of like 2000 and 2000 maybe. Ooh. And there's like one of the initial like original ads of Sex and the City where with Sarah Jessica Parker just like. She has like a Chrysler building on her dress uh, and there's all these old ads, all these old, old Ralph Lauren ads and all these pictures of dudes and when she like just came out. Nice. Oh, so good. So See, good. you know, I had a manila envelope marked locker and it would collect images to like oh, wallpaper my locker. Door. Yes. Yeah. Locker <laughs> was a big thing too. It was very important. You needed people to know what you were about and what you believed in by oh, yeah. those pictures in that locker. So when I opened my locker door, I was like, oh, how'd that get there? But like <laughs> 90210. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So, okay. So in 98, we would have been in very different places. Where were you guys in 98 vis-a-vis fashion? Okay, Joe, answer while I do the math on my calculator. Oh, where I was? I, I was at W Magazine. It had just launched, and I actually was becoming fashion director of W between 98 and 99. Um, and it was really at the cut. And I have to say, W in the 90s was really at the peak of what magazine publishing was in in the 90s. But in at that time, I mean, really, we worked. I worked with the best photographers. I really styled the best people. We really created this whole world around that that everybody was looking at. And so I, I remember that time vividly because that was a time that I actually saw the needle move um, in what I was doing in my career and everything. Mm-hmm. What What is, if you had to pick sort of like a few top photo shoots, what would they be? In my life? In, no, of that, of that, oh, that era. era? Yeah. Oh, God. I mean, I think that time I was working, I mean, I was working with everyone from Bruce Weber to Jurgen Teller to Patrick Marchelli and like all of that stuff when I was at W and creating those like iconic images that people still love. And and I, I think about this all the time. And like, you know, people, someone today asked us like, oh, what was the turning point in your career? Which is a lot. But I feel like one of the times I remember vividly Wes Gordon, who's now the creative director and the designer at Caroline Herrera. But when he first started as a brand new designer, I was like, oh, he's a new designer. And I was going to see him. And he had just done a resort collection for the first time. He's like, well, I was like, what was your inspiration? He was like, oh, I was very inspired by Gwyneth Paltrow in early in the 90s when she was in Great Expectations. And, and then this. And he showed me pictures of a photo shoot. And I was like, I did that. And I was like, oh, people are using my pictures as points of reference. I feel really old. And I thought that like, that's when I really knew the 90s were coming back. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that I had styled Gwyneth when she was just starting as an actress and that now somebody in their 20s is starting a design career and referencing those old tears and saying, this is what it is. I was like, oh, this has come full circle in a very sort of twisted way. But there was so many photo shoots I did back then. And certainly afterwards when I left W and I did the Vanity Fair, Tom Ford Hollywood issue and, like, all of those things that really Iconic. became – 
those big, and at the moment you don't think it, and it's only many, many years later. And I was like, oh wait, I did that. I did the Madonna Gap ad. I did all those things that sort of people really remember and pull out as as, as something that they latched onto at that time. What do you think there is about? Because I, I think about this a lot. Of, a lot of the times, I mean, like I think nostalgia is such a potent whatever you want to call it concept or, or potion or whatever it is and right now it's something that people are being we're being sold the 90s over and over and over again and I think I mean maybe it's just because I grew up in the 90s but it's to me it seems like it's it's living a lot longer than the other decades and um I guess first of all what do you do you think do you agree with that that the 90s are the 90s the 90s nostalgia sort of seems like more prevalent than ni- nostalgia in general like 80s nostalgia or 70s nostalgia I mean, yes, I guess so. I think it's also maybe the air if we look at the time of what was going on in the world. Like often the, mm-hmm. the nostalgia is sometimes for a simpler time, but some. But I think the 90s, though, you know, with recession and things like that, it was you had the bookend of the 80s excess and then the 2000 Juicy Couture pants. So also really, excess. Also excess, yeah. right. So there was this moment of raw realness that you felt like you think of the grunge scene and you think of what was going on there. So maybe there's just a more of a connection to less trying hard and authenticity, all those kind of cliched terms. Mm -hmm. But I do really think there has to be something that's connecting and maybe just generationally, like my daughter is 13 and she, everything she wears is 90s inspired. And I don't look at it and go, I'm so glad that's over. I'm like, oh my God, I love it too. I love it too. We're Mm -hmm. still writing about all these references in L. We're writing about new plaids and new this and all these things that are happening now. And I still love them now. So it may be that it's one of these weird timing that is cross-generational as well. Because I feel with the 80s, I adore the 80s. But a lot of people are like, I never want that to come back again. Get that 80s, that blue eyeshadow out of my face. And, And so the 80s was much more polarizing, perhaps. I don't know. I think trends come in 20-year cycles. I used to have this whole theory that trends come back in 20-year cycles. So the 80s was sort of a really hot thing maybe a decade ago or at least eight years ago. And I think right now the 90s are big, but we're also at the peak of social media. So because the 90s are so big, everyone talks about it all the time. So it feels like it's been around Mm. forever. And I feel like I already lived it the first time. So for me to relive it the second time, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. The other last week... I posted a TBT, a Throwback Thursday, of the one music video I styled, Mariah Carey's Honey, and I did it 20 years ago, and I was like, oh, it's a 20-year anniversary of that, and I didn't even realize. I got a million comments. Everybody loves it, and it's mostly people who are now obsessed with the 90s and less people feeling nostalgic about it. And I was like, there's a whole generation of people rediscovering this and loving it again for the first time, which is kind of interesting to me. It is, yeah. The first episode of this podcast, I had Dan Levy on it and like half of the podcast episode was dedicated to that video. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. I think Dan, actually, maybe Dan commented. I don't remember, but... He probably did. um, But people love that video so much, but it's like people who are just discovering it now for the first Mm -hmm. time, which is very, very interesting to me. It is, yeah. It is definitely interesting to see, to, to see it being redone. And then, yeah, it's like there is this like people living, living it who've lived it the first time, maybe somebody who who la- lived it as a kid, maybe somebody who didn't live it at all. It's super interesting, and I guess that's how. I don't know. I guess we're in a very postmodern time of of history where everything is just being like rehashed a thousand times. Oh, for sure. I think there's a familiarity with nostalgia, and I think that's why people always fall back on it because there's something that you can start as sort of a foundation for something else. But I feel like we're slowly moving into 2000s. Yeah, and you often yeah, look definitely. back and you have this recollection of a simpler time, mm-hmm. even though. When I think back to high school, it wasn't simple at all. But as an adult now, I'm like, oh, I had nothing to do. I just go to club. Meanwhile, when you're in high school, you're dying, right? So I think it's also just 
nostalgia works because it pulls you back to thinking when life was more simple. Mm -hmm. I think, but I do think that there is something about like what I was saying at the beginning about like the first time you experience things. Like even for me, like when I first got into fashion, like that it was such a different experience than flipping through. Like I was flipping through a magazine the other day with my friend and we were kind of just shitting on everything. And it was like the first time, like the, like if I would have done that fi even five or 10 years ago, like everything would have been amazing. I would have had, had no <laughs> criticism whatsoever. And now I'm just like, oh, the hell are they doing <laughs> you know and it was like you know it's it's very it, there is something so pure about the the first time that you experience these things i think that's also what nostalgia is too it's like it's not that exact it's like you say it's not that necessarily things were so much better, simpler yeah. it's just like you didn't have the perspective that you have now i think mm -hmm. life yeah. was simpler then at least in, yeah, in a personal yeah, way yeah and it was it's a, an era when you're or when, you know 20 years ago you're looking at where you were at the beginning of the journey that you're on and there's always something about beginnings that seems so much sexier and exciting or yeah. or you're full of promise right as opposed to now we're much more like we're pretty well established where we are so you don't have you're more about str strategic planning as opposed to dreaming in the same way I'm just old and tired I'm pretty tired too. <laughs> Let's take a nap break. I was I was reading something and I I, I don't know whether I don't even, honestly I don't even know where to attribute it to, but I think they traced like modern the concept of modern nostalgia back to the 70s because that was the first you know with like American graffiti and that would have been the first decade in American history when people actually wanted to look back rather oh. than like living through the depression where you don't want to think about it you just like you kind of just forge forward and I mean I guess maybe the 20s there was some positivity there but it, in general people didn't want to look back at the 30s or 40s because they were shit times they were war depression and the 50s was kind of like this shiny new time so when people were relieving in the 70s they were like super into you know american graffiti greece all that stuff so uh, to me that makes sense i guess and now we're sort of there's positives in every it's an decade. easy fallback it's like i yeah. think people are very reliant on that especially in the world of fashion because it, it lets them latch onto something that mm -hmm. we all know and are familiar with mm -hmm. so I read something where you bought, you spent all your money on a pair of Jordache jeans. Is that correct? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay. So I, <laughs> well, because I went to school here in North York. Yeah. I went to York Mills Collegiate. And, of course, I went there and, like, all of the kids were fancy. Like, so it's a public high school, but a high school where the student parking yeah. lot was by far bigger than the teacher parking lot. And kids would drive Mercedes to schools. You know, their dads owned restaurants. It was, like, a big deal. And I remember all the kids had designer jeans. And I was like, I need to have them. And back then it was $40 a pair. And I was like, that, I will never be able to afford that. And I saved all of my allowance money and walked to school, didn't eat lunch. And so I could finally go to Thrifties. I don't even know if anybody remembers these these stores here, but Thrifties in a mall and bought a pair of Jordache jeans with the back design pocket, back, uh, the back design pocket. I love those jeans. I wore them till they were threadbare. And it wasn't even until years later I realized I was wearing women's stretch jeans. They were <laughs> my favorite. I was like, that was that was my virgin designer jean purchase. I'm um, now I'm back to the, like basics. <laughs> what was your what was the whole look? It was the jeans and what? Uh, I don't know. It was the jeans. The jeans was my, that was my thing. But like back then I was like so desperate to want to fit in. So it was like wanting to be a preppy. I wanted my tree torn sneakers. I had my Sperry Topsiders. I had my Jordache jeans. I remember I had my Izod Lacoste polos with the collar popped. I mean, that was my York Mills collegiate uniform. And then one day I woke up and I was like, this isn't fun. I need to be punk. I literally went from that to wearing <laughs> Le Chateau clothes. And I was wearing like cobweb sweaters and ripped black jeans and pointy women's shoes, notice a theme. And then <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I shaved my head. I was like a whole thing. 
And I thought I was like Robert Smith and the Cure for that moment because it was the 80s. And I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to like wear guy liner to school and have teased hair with a shaved head on the side. And that's pretty cool, at least for me, I think. There was – I'm totally blanking on what this was recently, but there was – I saw a movie or a TV show where somebody was transforming their look every five seconds, and it was like – it was that extreme every time. It was like one second it was like the preppy look. The next second it was the cure. It was just like so – but it, I guess that is how you are when you're younger. You just have, You don't even think twice about it, but yeah. I'm not kidding. Thursday I was preppy. Friday I was a punk. <laughs> I mean that's the way you have to be. Consumerism, right? Oh, yeah. And then Monday I think I was Boy George. Well, Without like, any irony whatsoever. Well, that's at least like a slower transition from the cure to Boy George than preppy to punk. Oh, and they were here in Toronto. Culture Club was here in Toronto. And I remember I snuck into the Four Seasons way back when and hid in a broom closet because I walked huh. around every floor of the hotel listening to the door to see if I could hear his voice. And I was like, ooh, I think that's him and hid in a broom closet. And then when his security guard walked away, I knocked on the door. And? But he, he invited us in, my friend and I. And he was singing to kids from the Sick Children Hospital. And he gave us tickets to his concert. Ah. If you did that today, I'd be wrestled to the ground and arrested. But in the 80s, it was like, oh, come on in. Let me give you free tickets. Wow. Vanessa, what was your Luke, your high school Luke? Uh, I was a mess in high school. Uh, I went to like five different high schools in five years. And uh, initially, it was the Funky Doo prep crew. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as you would expect. But then then I had a few trajectories where I again trying to fit in. So... I was never a Doc Martens girl, but I tried fake ones because I couldn't afford real ones, and that didn't really work out. And then I switched over to try to be preppy, which, as you can imagine, was not a good idea for me. That was the high school I was in at the time, which was very preppy. And then eventually I just settled in, so my class would just be, you know, jeans and, like, off-the-shoulder top or some form of running shoes. I don't even remember. Nikes was what I would aspire to, but... You know, I didn't really have a solid look. I was constantly on an evolution, a style evolution. But I know, I know that during one of, in fact, towards the end of of uh, high school, um, when we're talking about like trying to find celebrities and stuff, I just re- literally just remembered that. You know, we would often go down to Much Music where you would see the artists being interviewed. You know, you could stand on Queen Street and look in. Do I and, ever. Right. And Lenny Kravitz had just come out with Let Love Rule and whatever. And he was still married to Lisa Bonet at the time. And me and my friends skipped school and went down there. And stood outside and he came out and was really friendly and talked to us for a while. And we were like, you should go vintage shopping. You should buy something for Lisa. There's vintage shops all along Queen. He was like, cool, show me. So we did. So we took him vintage shopping. That is Ev. I don't remember what he bought, though. I'm so bad at documenting these important moments in my life. Probably I mean, a woman's blouse. <laughs> he was trying to, he wanted to get something for her. And then he invited us to his gig, but it was somewhere where it was like 19 plus because it was had alcohol being served. It was, I don't know where he was playing, so we couldn't go. And that was the end of that story. <laughs> and he's like, oh, you're not 19? Yeah, he's like, bye-bye. Yeah. <laughs> and the end. That's amazing. I have like very many, many, ma- I, I did the much music thing like probably like once oh, a yeah. week. Very necessary. You yeah. could really see a lot of people down there at I the time. I think that was before my day, much music. Much music would have been pr- maybe after you left yeah. because, yeah, maybe after you left. I used to do that all the time. I they, they had the interviews, but then they also had these like ex- more extra, like an extravaganza mm-hmm. where it would be this thing called Intimate and Interactive. I guess it was like, it was the Canadian version of MTV Unplugged or something. And it would be like more of a concert and there would be some people inside who were super lucky and then people outside. And I used to do that all the time. But I remember there was one time 
when I went to see the Spice Girls and they had like a like a crowd like you remember Rick the, Rick the Temp and he was out, I don't know if I've told this story on the podcast before but it he was outside like fanning the fanning the flames of the of the girls outside and at one point during commercial he was like guys like you know I know I know you're screaming whatever but can we just be quiet for a second there's a little girl and she's lost and her mom is looking for her and everybody's quiet and I'm like Victoria Olivia <laughs> 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 maybe the little uh, girl's name was Victoria. Maybe, 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 but it wasn't directed at her. <laughs> it was just like my opportunity to like be heard, you know? I mean, why not? Yeah. Seize the opportunity, I always say. Mm-hmm. But you did you did it sometimes. You were lucky to have experiences every now and then. Yeah. Where they sure. were like coming out and signing things. For sure. There was a period where I was trying to fit in with my friend who was more into like, I guess, the grungy scene and Foo Fighters had just, I think they just started maybe like late 90s I don't really post remember. Nirvana yeah post Nirvana it would have been yeah maybe late 90s and I went with my friend down to much music and Dave Grohl signed like my purse or something and then I was like I don't really give a shit I don't even like them but I was trying to <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to be cool yeah yeah that's okay yeah I mean you have to you have to yeah do you you have to go purse? through it to come out the other no. side. Um, you no. You might have the purse, I don't no? think so. I did a pretty thorough cleaning when I found the time capsule, and that, that was maybe one of the things to go. It probably had rubbed off, because I probably carried it around for years, and I was like, look, Dave Grohl signed my... <laughs> it was one of those Club Monaco like wallet on a chain. Nice. I love that. Classic. Yeah. So, okay. I'm trying to... I'm trying to get more I'm trying to suss out more info about your iconic 90s experiences tell me something juicy about behind the scenes on honey oh my gosh so many juicy things behind the scenes on honey I oh mean, so I just have to ask you'll tell me all oh, the juice I'll tell you whatever juice you want yeah that would happen in 97 I mean the, the, you know I was styling where I had to style everybody so all of the dancers and everything that was going on I mean it was a production first of all I was working the night before and I flew in and to Puerto Rico we were filming in Puerto Rico and I got there around 2, 2.30 in the morning because I was already shooting something the day before in in New York. And when I got there, I was like, okay, let me get to my room. And they were like, oh, your call time is 4 a.m. Someone come pick you up at 3.30. I was like, that's in an hour. So I took a shower and I was like, all right, well, I'll sleep when I come back. We got picked up at 4.30. We worked all the way till 6.30 the following day. No. And I was like, I am going to die. Like, die. And I'm good with staying up, but 48 hours is just too long because that is literally like – waterboarding it's torture yeah and i was like okay well it's only three days i can handle this and you know and mariah's very much a nocturnal animal so she will sleep all day so then we had part of the day and i slept and then i caught up we're supposed to be there filming the video for three days and this is the days of thriller budgets because after three days she's like oh no we're gonna keep doing this we rented out a private island and all of this seven days later we're still there i was like i have to go back to new york i have to leave (laughs) all my assistants there and they had to finish the video because why seven days later were we still there when it was supposed to be a three-day shoot? I mean, that's wh- how you know that that's a 90s budget because today it's like mm, you have to five hours mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. to film something if you can film something at all. That's the whole thing. Doesn't she also only have like two different outfits in that video? No. We no, had so I'm many remembering, outfits. Okay, I think I'm remembering the white the white, which is a bandeau and a thing yeah. that, I had to, that I had to make for her. Then she had something that she danced in. But the famous thing where she jumped off the roof yes. and she had to rip her dress off. Uh, so and the, But she was also like there was a close-up of the Tom Ford Gucci heel, which is the first time Tom Ford was doing a Gucci collection that we took the heel from. And to this day, people's like iconic. But like that dress, like someone was actually asking me on Twitter about that last week. And I said, they're like, oh, what's the credit for that? I was like, that's a Dolce & Gabbana dress. And I had to find 
all over the world, five of them, because I had to have one for Mariah, I had to have one for the stunt woman, one for the body double, one I had to cut down the front and put Velcro so that when she's underwater, the stunt woman can rip it apart. So, and then one as a backup in case something happened to one of the other ones. And it was that what we were doing to try to figure all that out. And then she wanted the swimsuit to mimic Ursula Anders in Dr. No. So I had to have a swimsuit designer copy that. It was a lot of like moving parts. And of course, it was fun. But back then, it was like, this is a production. Mm-hmm. Wow. But I'm, I think that's, I, th- I mean, there was a lot more to that. But it, w- it was literally like making a movie. I mean, it is. I mean, like to this day, it holds up in the same way, right? Oh, and there's a whole part to that video that people don't remember. The beginning, there was a whole like scripted yes, talking yes, scene with yes, the jerky yes, boys. Yes. And yeah, it was like a huge thing. I mean, she's like, I really like them. And then they came and then we had to film part of the remix we with, Puff, with Puffy, P. Diddy, in Miami two weeks later to like, I was like, this is never ending. <laughs> Oh my god, amazing. And then so would so how did that compare to like a photo shoot that you're working on for W? Would a bit would that have just happened in one day? Uh a W photo shoot, yeah, probably would have been happening in one day. I mean, I was doing a lot of other things during that time. Like the nineties, I worked on everybody's album covers. So I did the album cover for Butterfly, but I did J Lo's album cover back then, and that was like a big production too. I mean, I loved J Lo. We were talking about this the other day too, how she won the Vanguard Award recently yes. on on MTV and New York Times did a whole like look back at JLo's style and the first three looks they posted were looks that I had styled. So it was like her in the hot pants. Do you remember the infamous JLo with the white bandana? Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God, you did that? Maybe. Oh. <laughs> I did that in W and she was so inspired to do that. Anyways, but I was like, at the time I was like, ooh, but now it's like so iconic for people. Yes. <laughs> I mean, everything does come uh, come around, even though, you, you know, you, like you said, like the 2000s are coming back. And there's so many things that you would have looked back like five years ago and been like so janks. But now you look back and you're like, yeah, like, Vanessa's talking about Juicy Couture. I'm telling you, Paris Hilton is our next style icon. Like, oh, God. Yes. Yes. Back. Of course. She's like already become very like embraced by the fashion industry recently. Oh, yeah. She's. Yeah. <laughs> Vanessa, what are, thoughts? On Paris Hilton or the honey <laughs> the video? Juice, the Juicy Couture. I mean, all of it, but, but in particular, the Juicy Couture moments. You don't seem very happy. No, no, no. I, I mean, I'm not ready for it just yet. Mm. I think it'll it'll come back around. You just get more, you know, I think it's often the more you're exposed to something, the more comfortable you become with it. So I think it really depends on how much the younger generation, you haven't seen it before, how they feel about it. If they take it on, then we're going to see it more. And Joe and I will be wearing hip slinging diamante crusted encrusted like i remember very vividly that around the juicy couture era that i uh spent every dime i had i was living in the uk at the time and i bought the chloe sunglasses that had the heart oh, diamante on, and like i literally felt like the hottest bitch in town and i would go to the clubs and i would have them on in the clubs i was that person uh so i sunglasses was sunglasses at night i was fully immersed in the juicy couture <laughs> culture so to speak um, I wish I still had There's no shame in that. Too. There's no shame in it, but I'm I had not oversized tracks. But even still, that. I'm just not quite ready. ready. Yeah, not I mean, ready. it does seem like it does seem like faster than the 20 year cycle. Seems like oh, I guess not. I mean, it. It's I just want someone to call it something other than the aughts. Mm. Yeah. I'm not into that. The mm. OOs. Oh, the we'll, naughties. We'll find a way. Oh, to the naughties. The naughties. Oh, naughties. Naughties. Yeah. yeah. The naughties. The oddies. 2000s. The OOs. I'll I'll take any of that. Yeah. 
And then pretty soon before we know it, it'll be the tens. <laughs> and yeah. Oh gosh. It's hard to really put your finger. It's also really funny because when you're in when you're in a decade, it's hard to put your finger on like what the style is because it seems like things are evolving so quickly. And well, lots happen in ten years, so yeah. it's kind of hard just to say like, oh, that's the nineties, or that's the eighties, or that's the seventies. Yes. Because yes. there's a lot in that decade. You I know? guess I guess now things speed up a lot faster. Because in the 80s, you really, yeah. I, I think you, I mean, for uh, at least from my opinion, I feel like there's just maybe five things that you could peg and say those are the 90s. I mean, the 80s uh, or maybe even less. Mm. The 80s is like. Big hair, blue eyeshadow, sex and glamour, big shoulder pads, high heels, like pumps, you know, neon. But like Nancy Reagan, know. like there's a lot of moments There's iconic me. Mo- I mean, Michael Jackson, obviously. Mm. Um, there Madonna. are some pretty iconic Madonna for sure. Yeah, but moments. Madonna borderline is very different than Nancy Reagan 80s. Yeah. Like I think yeah. all those yeah. moments. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Really, I mean, I think when you start to pull it apart, you're like, oh, there's a lot of good moments. We just kind of lumped it all into one. Yeah, mm-hmm. the beginning of the 80s is very different than the end of the 80s for sure. And even early 90s. Early, yeah, early nineties. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the nineties is really varied too. It is, but I, I remember like an, another thing that I've talked about on this podcast before. I remember in the nineties thinking like there is no style of this decade. Right. Like we're just everything mixed. You know, like because remember the seventies was really big in the nineties, yes. and, and I, I used to think that every the entire decade was hugely like referential. But I guess yeah. Like, but I thought now, that about the nineties too because it was mm-hmm. no style. But I think the idea of no style is style. It, it yeah. was really the era of Gap. Yeah, you know, it was a tank top and blue jeans. It was an economic depression. So when it reversed to that, people just want the basics. It was really about not being ostentatious at all. And so when you look back at it, but I was like, that Gap world was really defining the '90s. I mean, I worked on so many Gap campaigns during the '90s, and like all of that stuff is really what people remember about the 90s mm-hmm. now. Yeah, I mean, I was living in the UK for the majority of the 90s and 2000s and definitely the it was the, like there was that when did the era of era of cool Britannia come around, you know, with Tony Blair and like the Spice Girls and so there was also a different level of fashion that I was seeing in London, like okay, you go to Carnaby Street and all those classic Notting Hill or you go to wherever mm-hmm. Kensington to see what people were wearing and it was certainly still very influenced by the states in that sense, i.e. the Chloe Diamantes, but and that whole excess kind of feeling. But then on the other side, you had all the raves and all the the nightclub culture and the festivals and the art scene. So you definitely had club kids, but then you also had Gap and then you had definitely grunge and Kurt Cobain. That was a big 90s moment in the world of fashion. And then you had 90210. And then you went to J-Lo. Like, I mean, there was just yeah. so yeah. That's many That's what I mean. Things. How could I have had those juicy coutures but also have been, you know, in this at the other end of the 90s was not, that was not how it was starting out for sure. Yeah. 90210 is a great, is one, I mean, it's one of my favorite shows ever, but it's also ever. Ju- ever. Okay, we could just talk about, that could be its own episode. Ever. Um, But I think because it was the 10 years of the 90s, like that is such a good time capsule That's of true. aesthetics. Because like the first few seasons are so like 80s really, like, like even the, just the hair and then towards the end like you get towards the period that like I'm so fond of with the butterfly clips and the oh, yeah. pastels and the shininess but it's like it is such a good time capsule oh I might still have the Dylan McKay doll perfect Stop. in the box I have the pillow it's Stop. on my it's on my couch currently I have moved <laughs> over a dozen times in my life into different cities and, and that Dylan, Dylan McKay is doll you. is in perfect pristine condition still in a box somewhere in storage. So he was your thing? He wore like a like yeah, a Dylan. Oh, Dylan, 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 over, Brandon, Dylan over Brandon? Right? Dylan over Brandon any Dylan day. Dylan over Brandon. I wanted Dylan and Brenda together <laughs> forever. <laughs> 
I was like a David, but I think I was just I love David, David now. Silver. I love David yeah. now. No, no, no. I do love David. I love David too. I love when he had a drug addiction. It didn't. He never. He never connected with me. It was Dylan. I just felt like he needed to be truly understood. No, Jenny Garth was a cokehead too. They were all. It was oh, the age of the. Co- I mean, of the who drug- wasn't in that in that show? I think. I mean, did you know that somebody told me this recently that it, that um that the season when you know that like crazy ass Kelly season yes. when she goes from like being burned to like being maybe a lesbian to being like a, a cult a cult she was in a cult, a cult and then she was a cokehead and then she just like had every- everything apparently it was because Jenny Garth like begged for more plot lines because apparently because I think Kelly was fairly like boring up until that point oh. she was, she just was so play. vanilla right, right. she was like she was at the beginning she was like the popular like catty girl and then she became vanilla and then she had just this crazy ass season of like I, the season of Kelly. That was her jumping the shark. Yeah, now she flips houses. Yeah, <laughs> she does. Yep. My best Jenny Garth. She's a house flipper now. No, mm-hmm. she also her husband owns like a bakery or something. She's always like, my husband made these cookies on Instagram. Yeah, she also wow, left growing her husband up sucks. Bye bye. <laughs> Do you remember my like most iconic Kelly moment is when is when she decides to like dip into coke, but it's because her dad like didn't remember when she had she had this like deadbeat dad who was mm-hmm. rich and he, he would just heart, like broke her heart again and, and he was... would like ply her with cash all the time and and one final time she thought it was like gonna be different mm-hmm. and he ended up just giving her a check and she like rolls up the the check and snorts a line. She's, she's the like, original Regina George to me. <laughs> yes, don't you think? I mean, she's Regina George OG. Mm. Regina George has like a bit more. She's a bit more bite, but like yeah. definitely she's my OG yeah. Regina George. Because mm. she was the leader of their plastics. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Her decline, her her rise and fall was was more. You know, Regina George still kind of even with her headgear still remained on top at the. Wait, no, she didn't win prom queen. That was Katie Herring, right? Yeah, Katie Herring won, and then she gave her she gave everybody a, a, a piece, piece of, of the her crown. crown. <laughs> Never mind. I just watched that new movie with Rachel McAdams and Rachel Weisz where they're like, have a lesbian relationship in their religious Jewish community. And now every time we talk about Regina George, I'm like, that's the only thing I can think about. Oh, the only thing that what always comes up for me is when I'm trying to get my kid to think that I'm relevant. And I'm like, listen, I'm not I'm a cool mom. (laughs) Never mind. Because as soon as I hear that, I'm not a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. We want drinks, condoms, whatever. Remember when she (laughs) says that in the the thing? I'm like, never mind. I'm just going to going to leave. Probably best not to tell your daughter I'm a cool mom. But it's not even look. When your daughter is looking at you in the mirror when you're getting ready, she's like, is that really what you're going to choose to wear? And I'm she's not a horrible person, but, you know, she's 13 and. She says that, and I say, listen, I'm cool, right? I know what's up. And then she says, if you have to say you're cool, you're not cool. That's the context. Wow. Sick burn for the editor-in-chief of Val Canada. Pretty much, yeah. And I had to be like, cool, what do you think I should wear? What about this? Is She's this not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like that with, with my little cousins. They're like 19, and they used to think I was like the coolest thing ever. Now they think I'm like almost like I am cool, but not the coolest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I'm just constantly trying I to I embrace my dadness about everything all the time. <laughs> not cool, and I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, wait, Vanessa, you never told us what you were doing in 1998. 1998 was a pivotal year for Vanessa Craft. I was actually not in fashion at the time. I'd gone to fashion college, come out of, dropped out of fashion college, was working in the music industry, and then eventually had started doing other things related to music, such as dancing. So I would go to dance classes and, you know, you do hip hop and you do, I would wear those big buffalo shoes, you know, those big giant buffalo trainers and the crop tops and then the big 
cargo pants and I was actually going dancing at places like Pineapple, which is actually where the Spice Girls audition was. And I remember there was a notice board for oh. that. But I was self-taught. I hadn't been to dance. You know, I wasn't like someone who came up. So it was very hard for me and I had to put a lot of work and time in. Anyway, long story short, 98 was actually when I completely pivoted after this to then go and work as a writer and to really be serious about what I wanted to do. Um, and we there was an audition for uh, the Backstreet Boys who were coming to London and for some reason did not have their regular dance crew with them because visas, I'm guessing. I don't know. Anyway, it was, it was Fatima Robinson, legendary choreographer who did Aaliyah and she came to town, held an audition. I auditioned. I flicked this hair like you've never seen before. I picked up the choreo. I smized my way into uh, a gig dancing for the Backstreet Boys. And it was... I can't. It, <laughs> it I can't. was 1998, and it was for the Smash Hits Awards. I have all this stuff on VHS. And, oh, we have to Google this on YouTube. And, you know, and by the way, like the people that were so so it was so Celine Dion was coming off the stage during rehearsal. Janet Jackson was coming off the stage. Like, it was oh mind blowing, and my hair was so good back then that Kevin, my personal favorite, actually did one of these where you reach out and pull the curl, and he was like, "Your hair is so beautiful." Uh, and then I just was like, thanks. We love Kevin. We love Kevin. And then later, the after party, it was like a Monday night or Sunday night. We were, we were just like walking around Trafalgar Square, and it was like us and five other dancers on the really grimy dance floor. And it was super weird and super awkward. And I feel like there was a moment there, but it wasn't really allowed to happen. Anyway, so that was my pivotal I'm moment. Gagged. After I did that, then I was like, I'm done with this. I got to get serious with my life. And I've got it. And I went back into focusing on writing and editing. That was that highlight of your life was telling you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I gotta say, I, I was such a shit back then that I believed the language I used was once I've done this. I mean, where else can I go? It's time to move. I don't know how. That's I absolutely true. I mean, it is true. It's only downhill from there. I, like, I can't believe that, that. Like, I can't believe I'm meeting. Like, I should just like touch the hair later because you just Kevin, like ceremonies. I'm polar curl right yeah. now. <laughs> Because I was like, I, we haven't even covered the Backstreet Boys on this episode, but I mean, I was like, ups, like uh, I was Kevin out, I was and Brian. Control. And also, okay, let me tell you a little detail. This has not I was okay. Team NSYNC, but yes, I love How understood, get understood, out. but whatever. No, that was the wrong decision. But anyway, <laughs> here's a funny thing. In the rehearsal, so this was for what other song would it be but everybody, right? So in the rehearsals for everybody, so the boys fly in, so we do the audition. We do the audition at Pineapple. We get the gig. We go straight into rehearsals. I was a very lazy dancer, so I'd always be told... Vanessa, do it by yourself in front of everyone. Do it full out. Mm. Do it this. I wasn't really that great, but I had good hair flicks. Anyway, then it comes to the boys flying to town, and we're doing this rehearsal. And you know in the song when he goes, am I sexual? Yes. That bit. So there was two <laughs> girls. So Okay, so there's three dancers <laughs> per Backstreet Boy. And you were either on one side of the Backstreet Boy, grind, like wine, you know, like rubbing your hands up and down and when he says, am I sexual? Or you ha were the lucky person who got to slide between his legs and reach your hand up and grab his junk. Now... Fatima Robinson said to specifically grab the junk. It was very important. She wants to mock it, to mime it. She wants to grab the junk. But I didn't have Kevin. No, you had Nick because that's his uh, line. Mm, they all, they all do. We all do the same moves, no matter to each dancer. I had Howie. Oh, and was Howie was wearing gray track pants that day. Did he have a big package? It's no. all kind of a blur. I kind of blocked it out because I was so excruciatingly disappointed I wasn't <laughs> grabbing Kevin's junk. Because that would have been the moment that would have solidified <laughs> that the relationship. That would have been it. From the hair curl to the 
inappropriate sexual assault. That would have been the one, right? Anyway, so I had to grab Howie's junk. Right, and well, Howie, Howie did after try to bond with me and try to say that, you know, we're both like the, we were like the only ethnic minorities there or something. <laughs> I was just like, dude, I'm not, I don't want this. I want that. Okay, whatever. You're, he's like, it's it's actually kind of cold in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> What's your name again? It's oh kind of cold God. in here. This- but that to me sums up the end of the 90s for me because, you know, the music and the clothing and the pivot of my life after that. Wow. That that would have – if I would have met you in 1998, I – because so I – there were these bar mitzvah dancers that were twins and they were really good dancers. And they danced like with the Backstreet Boys on a cruise or whatever. And every time we would see them, we would actually just start crying because <laughs> we couldn't handle like their proximity to the Backstreet Boys. No, but it was insane. When we came out <laughs> on the stage, we were like your daughter underwear and you're dodging like giant people throwing stuffed animals up there and signs that say they want to have their babies and it's is it weird that the Backstreet Boys didn't have regular dancers they did have regular dancers they couldn't get into the UK for that show so it was only that show that we got to do I remember there were regular dancers like I was so obsessed with them that we knew all of their names we remember Fatima oh yeah of course I love Fatima I'm still team NSYNC but NSYNC killed it on the MTV Awards when they did the Bye 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 was that Wade Robson who choreographed that with the TV screens like NSYNC had some sick stuff but Backstreet was Backstreet. Backstreet was also, for, for if you were living in Canada at the time, they came earlier because yes, there was right. that European, like, UK that's connection. That's right. So it was UK first, Canada, yeah. and then finally to the States. So InSync mm. was already, like, your heart was already the Backstreet Committed. Boys. And then the InSync came around and you were like, how like, dare no. you? <laughs> yeah. No, see, I'm team InSync first because I you got were it in, in America. the States. Yeah. Wow. <sighs> Mic drop on that. I will one. never look at buffalo trainers the same. Although we had to wear these weird flapper dresses and like little character shoes that was less sexy. But I remember that, yeah, because it was because it was that whole like the haunted mansion. Haunted thing. Yeah. Oh, but my they God. actually they pulled do you remember the, the clothes. Dance? It was a yeah, of course I do. It was a total oh, shit show though. She's gonna perform because they had pulled the they you know uh-huh. they pulled the clothes from an actual vintage store and we were then dancing in these clothes. So they were. Destroyed when so they went follow to Vanessa them. on Instagram to watch her recreate. Never this. happening. I mean, I love dancing, but that was, you know, the famous. I I remember that dance. It's iconic, man. Oh my god! Wow, I'm gonna, I'm gagged right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gagged and I'm gooped and I'm dead and I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> Your hair is so beautiful. All right, well, come pull her hair. Okay, Isn't I'm gonna even d- amazing? I imagine- let him touch my hair. That's the that is the story right there. <laughs> imagine I come over and I like replicate it, but I just rip her hair off because I'm so jealous. <laughs> and it. plus, it's not put really it in hers. a box. <laughs> <laughs> this is all mine. I will have you know. Oh, <laughs> just back then it was thicker and lusher. I mean, With your youth. hair still is beautiful. With it would. Youth. I would. I think it would still have the same like. Yeah, there's pot, nothing like, in this today. It's all mine. Mm-hmm. I can because Joe's been seeing me do the show when we were doing Stitched. Joe's been seeing me do the show where literally every d- other episode I have a different piece of weave or hair extension coming <laughs> out. So he actually said I should start a blog called <laughs> Believe It or Not, <laughs> where people vote: Is it a weave today or not? <laughs> I said put it on your Instagram stories as a poll. He's always trying to help me with not. content. I Thanks, love Joe. that. I'm Thanks, like Joe. sometimes it's like a bedhead mohawk. <laughs> Sometimes it's Tina Knowles. We, I needed 24 hairstyles. Come on. It's two per episode. And trust me, they are hairstyles. So tune in <laughs> to see whether you believe it or not with Vanessa Kraft. It's truly unbelievable. Do you believe? <laughs> I always believe. This is my new way to sign off of my podcast. <laughs> believe? Believed? Do you believe? I and believe. Then, nobody knows if you have a lisp or not. Or if you have have a weave or not. (laughs) I believe I can fly. (laughs) 
Okay, it ends now. It's too far. We're done. On that note, on that very cool final note, thank you guys so much for joining me on yes. this episode. Thank it's you for a, having uh, us. It was a pleasure you. to have you guys. Where? Okay, so so tell us where to find you guys on the internet. Uh, well, I am at Vanessa at Vanessa Craft or at L Canada, obviously. Uh, at Mr. Josie, and you can catch all my stories of wearing women's jeans. Oh my God! Yeah, do you? Still you will wear catch them? none of my stories of those. I those t- can those no longer squeeze into women's jeans. I wish those days were still upon me. Mom yes. jeans. They're very forgiving. I think I'm wearing them right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you can also catch the first season of Stitched on Slice. What day is it on? Sundays at 9 p.m. Thank you so much for that information. You're welcome. <laughs> Tune in. Yes. Oh, I forgot to I, – for, I always have to sign off every episode with – w- there was a catchphrase that I made up when I was 13, and I'm still trying to make it happen, like make fetch happen. Oh um, and it's just get out of my facial act. Um, oh. And like – like seems medium, eh? It's close. Let's see. Get Look at the editor's thing. editing you. I'm editing it. It's close. The energy is there. Just maybe just like say it and see how it feels. Get out of my facial what? Is it? Act. Get out of my facial act. I don't even think I understand that. Mm. Just go with it. Okay. Okay. Get out of my facial act. Get out of my facial act. Okay, bye guys. Bye. <laughs>